when Gil was talking and, and going through the guidelines of uh, being here, I, it, the thought occurred to me that um, just sitting, being nobody, going nowhere, takes a lot of preparation. This great paradox of our practice, you know, takes a lot of engagement and diligence and preparation, and then uh, just be whatever you are. You know. And, and the, the parami virya, in a way, covers that, you know. Um, there's diligence, there's effort, there's engagement, and, th and then as it ripens, as it matures, as it becomes itself, um, uh, some physical, mental characteristic, something like enthusiasm. You know, you know how when you're enthusiastic about what's being engaged, it's energizing. <coughs> It's not a chore. It's it's not something that a burden. It's not a should. It's something about it resonates with your being. Yeah. And and the more subtle depths of meditation, you know, this is what happens. You know, as as we settle more thoroughly and engage more thoroughly with the phenomena of being. The, um, the, the usual workings of our being to choose this against that um, or just to uh, try to resolve whatever kind of disturbance or agitations going on, you know, as that starts to settle. The, the vibrancy of being starts to become more alive, you know. And it's very interesting that as we start to engage that or allow that would be probably more accurate. As we start to allow that, there's a kind of an, an innate enthusiasm within us. Yeah. And I think of this course as... Um, we're discovering part of the extraordinary nobility of being human is that we have an enthusiasm for compassion, for caring, you know. I think probably every single one of us has experienced times when we were genuinely and thoroughly caring and felt like we received more than we gave, you know almost like we were blessed by being able to have that engagement. Yeah. Um, and then just as all the preparation that goes into being, being nobody, doing nothing, um, similarly in the realm of our engagement, you know, both 
in in our own workings, our own inner workings, you know? How do I work with the ways in which I get distracted? How do I work with the ways I get preoccupied? How do I work with the ways I'm judging the situation, the person, my own performance, the context? Yeah. And one way we could talk about it is where does where is the energy being placed, you know? Is is the energy going to criticize the the injustices of incarceration uh, that to my mind, to my in my opinion, are there? <laughs> um, or is it going towards compassionate support for the process of the people we're ministering to. You know. Is the energy going towards, you know, am I good enough? Am I saying the right thing? Or is it going towards allowing your heart to open and something to come out in an authentic way? You know? Um, and and so part of the uh, the challenge of virya is that you usually our consciousness, our our attention, our purposefulness, our meaningfulness goes to looking at the the mental constructs that we're creating in relationship to it, you know, the opinions, the judgments. And that's what's being energized. And part of the yoga of it is, how do we come to recognize that? And how do we come to not suppress that, but be skillful with it? It arises out of our deep, habituated, conditioned existence. And, and and so can um, can virya energize that skillful investigation and then can it also energize something more fundamental you know that that compassion can foster for us you know this marvelous attribute that we care for each other when we see suffering, it matters to us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it matters to us in a complicated way. What just popped into my head was, there's someone who's been sleeping on the steps of city center, part of the San Francisco Zen Center, the city center. I mean, we have 14,000 homeless in the city, so it's not surprising some of them would end up on our doorstep. What do we see? Do we see a homeless person? Or do we see a human being who's struggling to take care of the basics of life? What do we energize? And then the other 
interesting quality of Virya to mention is that even though when you, when you, read, when you read certain suttas about deep meditation and they, they give these exquisite references and details of what it is to be deeply absorbed in the present moment. But even in our doing, you know, what I thought Gil was about to say was, well, when you're washing your dishes, wash the dishes, you know. Do what you're doing, you know. Like, energize the immediate activity of the moment. And in a way, it gives us that kind of support that becomes abundant in deep meditation. You know, we can draw it right into the ordinary activity of our everyday. Gil was talking about uh, service, job, service, uh, sangha service, sangha service, you know. Um, do this with the dedication, and then there's an interesting way we share the energy of it. Yeah. That that reciprocity, when we when we give, in an authentic, wholehearted way, something is shared, you know. So individually, we can do that in our mindfulness, in our attention to whatever it is we're doing, and the engagement within it, you know. Like sometimes we're we're over on the on the edge of should, okay, I should meditate, you know. And then you're checking the time every 10 minutes, you know, and because you should sit for 30 minutes versus when you just settle in. And then it's almost like a surprise when the bell rings. How what's energized kind of shapes or gives a certain attribute to the experience. And so this parami is asking us to explore that. And, and part of the challenge of it is, it's, it's really more to do with investigating the, the yogic aspect of our practice than formulating opinions and ideas about it. Yeah. Like if you want to learn about virya, do what you're doing as thoroughly as you can. Yeah. And, and, and explore what is it to shift from should to almost like celebration. Yeah. And the truth is, maybe you're, you're totally aligned intellectually with that idea. But sometimes it comes down to you should do it, you know. <laughs> there's some preferencing going on. I don't really want to bother with this, you know. And, and then we 
how do we rouse the intentionality? Hmm? Like sometimes it's easy. We're just inspired by something. You know, like I've done some retreats here. And so when I come here, a little bit like Gil was saying, I have these positive associations. You know, it's like, oh, peaceful, mindful place to be. You know. But when I was driving down, Google Maps stopped working on my phone. <laughs> and it didn't feel like being nobody going nowhere. <laughs> it felt like being somebody not knowing <laughs> where I was going. <laughs> yeah. And if that's what it is, that's what it is. No. Still do what you're doing. No. And, and in that sense, it, it, it's very functional in being a chaplain. Because, of course, sometimes things are going to inspire you and rouse your enthusiasm. But sometimes they're not. No. For all sorts of reasons, you know just who you are that day, what the situation is, how the person's responding. And uh, even in that. And one way to talk about it is, it, it, it's like a commitment beyond outcome. You know? The do, doing what you're doing isn't contingent upon getting it right or getting the right outcome. You know, when Gil was lining out the attributes, he was saying he added courage. Maybe that's courage. Do what you're doing beyond outcome, beyond the contingency of outcome. Thank you. Do you want this? Let's try to see if it's just... I'll take it around by the way. So, um... So uh, I think it's nice to have everyone in the circle. So maybe not this moment, but uh, as soon as the first opportunity, we're going to break into a little dyad shortly. But uh, would it work for you, Beth, to be in, against that wall there? Because then, you, then it feels like we open up and have it that. So when we have a chance to come back, we'll do that. And then Stephanie, you also can lay down in the circle. So next chance we have to come together, let's, unless you prefer to be laying down away from everyone. It's up, it's up to you, but uh, the principle of being in the circle is a good one. Um, and um, so we're going to, uh, you're going to uh, uh, going to uh, pair up with someone and discuss your relationship to virya, to effort, to energy. I like to think that, um, at least for myself, that um, 
I'm going to be working with energy and effort um, for the rest of my life in practice. It seems like this is one way it, I could probably do a history of my involvement with Buddhist practice, a history of what I've learned about effort and how I've had to adjust it and change it and all this time. And the first time I was introduced to the, the kind of the kind of a Buddhist idea of effort, um, it just perplexed me. It was, uh, I, was, I was just visiting Zen Center, I think as a guest student, or not even that, just visiting. And I was really taken by Zen. And, and, I, and uh, I, I asked a question about effort and I, I didn't know anything about Zen, so I, now I, you know maybe the teacher saw Dabit saw it as like a smart aleck kid or something, but I was just like just trying to figure out, get my bearings, and I said, uh, "What kind of effort do I use for ma- for doing Zen practice?" And the abbot said, um, "Who's making effort?" And I like what? <laughs> it, 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 you know what? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like not, you know, like, well, like, I guess he's talking Greek or something. I don't know. So, so that was, the, you know, that was the end of the conversation, you know. So, okay. And I'm sure it didn't have the desired impact that a great Zen master would have on someone. Like, who's making effort? And I would have, like, woken up. But <laughs> I was like, oh, oh. I mean, it was a great question, but the wrong student. and so that was kind of like you know beginning and trying to find it and then a wonderful story around effort for me i think another kind of you know my i did a lot of effort in zen but in zen there was this idea in zen center that there was no goal and and there wasn't any any recognition that you were making effort it was just like just be there wholeheartedly just be there so i didn't really like the concept of effort you know that anybody who said make effort was like you know, that's not what Zen is somehow. Mm. And so I, I didn't recognize I was like putting in a lot of effort. Somehow it wasn't in my mindset to see it that way. I just, you know. And it's so bad, it was so bad that the uh, first time I, as a teacher, I gave a series of talks on the Eightfold Path. The, the uh, sixth step of the Eightfold Path is right effort. So the solution when I got to that, because I didn't, couldn't relate to it, I just skipped it. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, um, but then in retrospect, I've learned that, you know, I put a lot of effort into my practice and a lot of it was uh, the effort of trial and error and uh, trying to figure out what is the right effort and constantly, uh, you know, going off, off the mark and learning by the mistakes, learning by how I was off the mark and then learning from, learning from that. And so this idea of trial and error and learning from the errors are really, I think, a really important part of Buddhist practice. And oh, that didn't work, that wasn't right, that, not too much this, not enough that, something, and we find our way. And, um, and then uh, in the process of that, it's not, I don't think it's an all or, you know, sudden thing, um, but gradually, the, as I think what Paul was talk, talking about begins to happen, that with the, the, the effort we make initially maybe has to be self-conscious, willed effort of a certain side, maybe 100% in the beginning, and then over time, or over some circumstances, it begins to shift, and the energy that's there is one that's more allowed for, that bubbles up and comes through us, and that that and at some point it shifts far enough that uh, you are more on the side of allowing something to move through us than we are having to apply our, ourselves, and that so in chaplaincy, there's a lot of effort involved in chaplaincy, 
Um, but, but uh, you know, where are you in that spectrum from the willed effort, having to overcome resistance, having to, you know, it's not the day you wanted to volunteer, but I guess you committed to, and you drag yourself down the hallway, and or you're afraid of that patient, and so you're, you know, you have to make effort to kind of overcome your fear. And then there's a whole other place, and Paul said so beautifully about compassion coming, welling up from this deeper place. And sometimes we do the work, and something clicks in and it almost feels like there's no self there as we do it. It's just, it's flowing and something is kind of moving through and you feel connected to something. And it's, and then the next room, it's different. The next room, it's different. And so where's your effort and how do you monitor your effort? And what do you know about the kind of effort Paul's talking about of the enthusiasm, the allowing, that which moves through us rather than something we have to do or will. Um, So I I think it's one perspective to look at all the Buddhist practice, and it's one perspective to look at how you engage in chaplets in spiritual care, uh, the effort that you offer to it, and where does your effort go, where does the energy go, and how do you navigate that, and how do you monitor yourself in it. So that's the topic. And uh, so I request that you pair up with someone, and and being that we're kind of here in this whole new setting, uh, if it's easy enough to find someone you haven't really paired up with yet, if there's such a person or someone you don't know so well yet in this program, and pair up with them and have a conversation. And uh, I suggest you just go back and forth, have the conversation like ping pong, back and forth. And a good way to do that is um, when it's your turn to speak, don't do more than, uh, make just one point. Uh, don't go on all the points you can make. And also you might be careful not to tell a lot of story. You might have to tell a little bit of story to make sense of it, but uh, think of this partly, you're not informing them about something about yourself. You're, you're exploring something for yourself in talking about it, and you know the story already. So just say just enough of the story for your sake so you're kind of in it and opening up something. Otherwise you get bogged down sometimes. And then make one point and then let the other person make a point so it goes back and forth and hopefully more or less equal amount of time to talk. Is that good? So, uh, and uh, the amount of time we have for this is, um, uh, we'll probably take about uh, 20 minutes for this conversation. And um, so that's a good long time to kind of really work it and, and, uh, and this back and forth. Maybe it'll be a, a, a catalyst to have new thoughts and new ideas that you haven't had before because you'll run out of ideas and then you have to stretch. So um, pair up, and you're welcome to stay in here. You're welcome to go to the foyer and downstairs in the lobby or the, the walking hall, or you know. And but uh, and then in about uh, tw- 20 minutes or something, I'll go around and ring bell to bring us back in here. <laughs>